What's up, Brad? <laughs> How are you? What are you doing, guy? What am I doing? Um, just finished this uh, Clutch interview, which went yeah. well. Yeah. John Paul, he's cool. <laughs> once we got it going, once we get the tech sorted I out. I know. Let's not talk about that. That's boring. <laughs> you know what's funny is that he's like, I was asking him, I'm like, oh, what should I call you? You know, do you like JP? Do you like Jean Paul? And he's like, yeah, I like Jean Paul, but not everyone likes saying it. And someone just did that to me the other day. They had a like, like a slightly difficult Greek name, but really not hard at all. Right. And they're like, if you want to call me Nick. That's fine. I'm like, no, I could sort it out. You know, like I, I, the thing about that is it scares me what kind of conversations these people have previously had that me being able to say their name is some kind of anomaly, you know? (laughs) I, (laughs) yeah, I agree. Jump. You should be able to say jump Paul, jump Paul, whatever. Easy. Even though I, I always think of that guy, just give me the mic and pass the draw. Pop another bottle, Lomo. Sean Paul. Paul. I worked with that guy. I recorded him. You did? Yeah, I hung out with him a few times. Yeah. Was he he cool? I know his lawyer really well. Um, He seems cool. He He seems like fun to be around. Dude, he's from Jamaica. Come on. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what's that mean? They're all. I've never been. (laughs) Yeah, Sean DePaul. Sean DePaul remix. Oh, God. Oh, God. Cultural appropriation. We're going to get canceled, Brad. Stop it. Oh, I love Shumpaw. Come on, man. So guess what I did for the first time today? Did you uh, do any stonework? No, but I fired up a chainsaw. Oh, nice. I did it. I got one. Is it gas and honestly, or it took like it took like two days of reading instructions and watching tutorial videos for me to fire the thing up because of how nervous I was. Did you get any chaps to go with it? I didn't get chaps. I just wore jeans. Yeah. And it was like, I'm, I'm not going to like get a chainsaw and show up for the first time in fucking chaps. I just feel like an <laughs> asshole. So I literally am wearing like a hoodie, just like my gardening gloves. <laughs> I got good goggles. I'm wearing my my Bose like noise canceling right. headphones right. that I listen to music with. I'm such a rookie, dude. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, did you? Um, is it electric or gas? I went gas. Right. I was gonna go electric. I wanted to, and then some people I asked for advice, like basically like man shamed me. You know, they're like, "Yeah, gas is the way to go, bro." <laughs> Like I had like four different people tell me that. And I'm like, I just want to charge a battery and cut a few things. Like, do I really need to do all this? No, yes. Electric chainsaws have come a long way. I heard they're good. But then I was like, uh, you know, half my reason for all of this is me like. (laughs) To make noise. You want to rock. No, 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 no. It's about (laughs) the idea in my head that like the apocalypse. I don't know if the apocalypse is coming. But something crazy might be coming. I don't know. So the idea, I, I, I don't want to get into like firearms and bows and arrows right. and shit. But I want to be able to take care of my stuff. So if like the power goes out for four days, I think I still want to be able to use a chainsaw. You know, uh, I thought you were going to say that you that as a weapon, a loud oh, yeah, no, gas powered chainsaw. I didn't is tell you what I'm using it for. <laughs> <laughs> said if the power goes out i still want it i didn't say i was cutting a fucking log i'll definitely slice a human with that thing it's not the greatest weapon though it's a little clunky i feel like i'd be it's better only, with my it axe, only works you know? in video games yeah or that or that movie uh with the 
where's the people's face? Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. Yeah, that's a good one. You, uh, yeah, just the, I'll tell you right now, watch for just watch for like branches where knots are because yeah. the thing about a chainsaw is just back. the kick. Yeah, when it kicks, that's what you got to watch for. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, Vanessa, who's, you know, the publicist for Fat Records and stuff, I was just emailing her about something. We're chatting and, and just in passing, I'm like, yeah, I got a chainsaw. I have poison <laughs> ivy, blah, blah, blah. And she writes back this really serious email like, I know someone who sells houses in like Hudson County. Apparently people who come from New York and, you know, start homesteading, slice themselves with chainsaws all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, that's me. Oh no. And I'm like, I know there's going to be a learning curve to all this stuff. Like, of course right. I can't like come here and know all of it, but I don't want the learning curve to be like fucking eight fingers. I don't want to be like Jason Pierre Paul over here, you know? So right. <laughs> I got to, I, I wanted the learning curve to be like, Oh, you put the leaves on the street wrong. I didn't want it to be like, yo, you sliced your leg in half. Apparently, <laughs> People are wearing fucking chaps. <laughs> but anyway, you'll be, okay. I feel like, your I feel like people who listen you. to clutch, like pro rated, probably have a decent amount of chainsaws. This is a decent, actually way to intro yeah they're probably all going like oh come on dude (laughs) but i remember the first time i saw clutch it was like 95 at the stone pony in asbury we talked about in this interview they opened for a band called tad yeah i remember tad and and i went for a band called standpoint who was like a female fronted like post-hardcore band from new jersey who i loved and like my friends put out their records i would go to all their shows so we went down there just for them. And then I remember Clutch playing and like I was like 15 and I was like holy shit. Right. Like I thought something from like the 70s hit me. I was <laughs> like cuz cuz at the time no one was doing that like just straight like you know to me it was just blues rock. I didn't right. understand the minutia right. of it at the time. And I was automatically impressed with it. And then I love how Clutch, like I said at the end of the interview, have just like so fiercely always done their thing that they're the example to me of like any band. Like, yo, just do your thing. Get your sound. Keep improving it. Write good records. And like the world will bend to you. You don't bend to the world. And, you know, and they were the classic example because they were a band for... Uh, you know, over 10 years, maybe 15 years when all of a sudden like CKY and Bam Margera starts liking him and they tour with his brother. And all of a sudden clutch is on like MTV being talked about from all these people. I'm like, look, (laughs) this is a lesson to you youngsters. Like do your thing, be awesome. Right. And the shit will wave to you. You know, you can't wave to it. That's the trick. And you I gotta think Clutch has like mastered that, you know? You gotta follow your heart or nobody's gonna follow you. Yeah. And write good songs. I mean, yeah. it's, he, he even said it when I was asking about the label. It's like, none of this matters unless you pay attention to your music and pay attention to your songs and your albums. Like, you know, put a pig in a dress. <laughs> you know the expression? Oh, you yeah. You heard this? I've heard the expression, Betty. I'm not familiar with this expression. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate him. I appreciate you, Brad. Let's listen to this interview. All right. Wait, so do I call you J 
JP? What would you like to be called? Uh, you you can call me JP. You can call me Jean Paul if if you're comfortable with that. I like Jean Paul. I do too. Some people some people get kind of weirded out by the by the sort of double front first name and they don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, a lot of people down by you have double first names. They just have usually like the creepy school shooter ones, not like a nice pretty one like Jean Paul. You know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. You have a great background, though. I, it's, I've been on a lot of Zooms lately, and I notice now in the corona era that your, like, Zoom background is a thing, you know? Some people set up, like, staging. Some people have cool rooms. Some people yeah. are super whack. You can even tell on, like, ESPN, the guys behind them set up, like, books that they want the world to see that you read, you know? Right, right. And, and I, I bet a lot of time and effort goes into choosing which which books it is you put on the shelf. and thousand percent, yeah. And, and I wonder, like, how many of those folks actually have read maybe even a quarter of those books? It's like, I know from touring that, you know, there's just this, like, you know, dozen or so books that if you deem yourself like an alternative punk rock person – you have to have on your bookshelf, you know, right? like the prereqs, the prerequisites. Uh-huh. I don't think people have read most of them. Like how many of these kids are actually leafing through the entirety of like people's history of the United States? I don't know. It's a right. tough read. Yeah. <laughs> what would your book be? Like if you had a, a couple books to put behind you that encompass your Zoom being, what would they be? Um, well, I can tell you that the, uh, in, in my very early days of touring, I read the Miles Davis autobiography. And at the time I was, you know, I was just sort of soaking up a lot of new music and that, that autobiography for me, it it did a lot. I enjoyed it because I just loved the way that Miles spoke and Mm. the, the, uh, author, I think did a really great job of sort of trying to encapsulate his his vibe. Uh, so that was super cool. There's a lot of curse words, a lot of motherfuckers in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but it was also great too, because, you know, he was such an interesting figure in, in jazz. He was, he was there for so many of the developments of that music. And reading that book was kind of like, it was it was really a jazz history lesson. So huh. um, that's, that's one that I've read a few times in, in, uh, over the years. Um, and I really love Corbin McCarthy as well. Oh yeah. The road. The I read road. The love the, um, the trilogies, uh, uh, all the, all the, uh, all the pretty horses. Oh, okay. Um, are all of his books as rough as the road? Cause I remember being like maybe 150, 200 pages into the road going, it's going to break, <laughs> you know, it's going to give me like, it's going to, it's going to get a little easier to read this at some point. And it was just, brutal all the way to the very end he is are they all like that yeah they're they're all yeah he's got a great way of of uh describing uh terrible things in a very beautiful way right oh yeah yeah for sure yeah I, I, i love his books and his books are so dense um that that i find i can i can read them a few times and i've you know there you you keep getting new stuff out of it what did you think of the vigo mortensen uh, film for the road. Did you like it? The adaptation. Um, yeah, I, I remember watching it. I, it was it was pretty depressing. <laughs> uh, 
I can, I can remember uh, going into the studio one day, um, have, having read the book but not seen the movie. And right. uh, we were recording in Baltimore with, with uh, our buddy Jay Robbins. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I can remember, you know, sitting there at my drums and Jay was kind of placing microphones around. And, and he, he was unusually sort of somber that, that morning. <laughs> okay. and, and I was like, Jay, man, what's, you know, what's up? How, how, you know, what, what, you, you seem kind of down today. And, and uh, he said, yeah, you know. We watched The Road last night, <laughs> <laughs> and it left quite an impression on him. Um, I, it took a few weeks before I, I gave it a shot, and I yeah. found it to be just as depressing. So, <laughs> can you be can you be like influenced by pop culture like that? Like, can it change your mood? Are you uh, affected well, emotionally the, by it? I, I think that book certainly the the, the movie certainly yeah. did. The the book does as well. Yeah, I think to some degree, sure. You know, I mean, depending on what you know, what what you see around you, what what music you hear, uh, what's going on in the you know current events, all that stuff. I think I think uh, kind of influences how you know how you how you sort of view things, especially as a musician. I think we are so sure. um, open to all of these influences around us that, you know, they're, they're going to affect the, the, the way we play one way or another. Yeah, that's a fact. And going back to the jazz thing with Miles. So you had a, you had a jazz background, right? When, when you were coming up in music? Well, I, very uh, early on in, in, um, in, in my my time in this band, I, I was able to uh, take lessons from um, a, a drum teacher named Walter Saab. And okay. at, at that point in my life, I was in my early 20s. I had taken some drum lessons before that. Um, I, I, knew, I knew something about jazz. I, I, I found it interesting, the, the lineage, you know, the evolution of the instrument and, mm-hmm. and why players play the way they did. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to study with Walter Saab and, and Walter was a, was a drummer that started playing professionally in 1946. Wow. So, so he was really there in the, in the, in the very earliest days of the music when they were developing this vocabulary. Sure. And so it was, it was, it was really great to study with him. He, he taught me a lot about, uh, not only music, but, but, but how to be per, prepared for any kind of situation that came to you. Um, huh. He wanted his drummers to, uh, um, to be able to play with anybody at any time and make them oh, okay. feel comfortable. And you stress and, versatility. Um, yes, exactly. And, and, yeah. and th- I think that's probably the most valuable thing I, I learned in my, in my time with Walter. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I, I learned a lot of uh, uh, curse words and uh, <laughs> <laughs> in ways to describe people as well that we won't share right now. They're pretty, off color, but are, are teachers like that? I, you know, I've never had a, a teacher like that. Is are the movies? What was that movie that came out a few years ago with the the crazy drum instructor? That stuff is real, huh? That, that, that well, to to some extent, you know, there's actually a lot of people who watch that movie and we're getting Whiplash. emails from them saying, "Hey, this is this is what Walter was like," or or I hear Walter. Oh, was wow, like, really? And and to some degree he was he was a really hard dude, but I think the I think the drum teacher in that movie at the end of the day was kind of a dick, right? You know, and sure. Walter was yeah. not like that. Walter was um, he used very coarse language. Uh, he insulted you a lot, um, <laughs> and it could be about anything. It could be about your weight, your ethnicity, your age, uh, the music you played. It didn't matter. He did he didn't care. Um, but Can you think of, of sometime that he got you. I'm sorry. 
Can, can you think of like a particular instance where he nailed you on something? Oh, yeah. He'd call me a fat whale. Oh, shit. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 You fat whale, get downstairs and play what I, what I, what we talked about last week. What, you know, right. it'd, be, it'd be one of these things where you would, you would go to his house and you, you don't knock on the door. You have okay. to walk in there because he doesn't want to get up off the kitchen table and go let you in. You, yeah. you have to let yourself in. Wow. And so. Uh, and this was in D.C.? This was this was just outside of DC in Maryland, okay, and and only Maryland, and uh, and so so you'd walk in the house and and then he'd say, hey, did you play that shit that we we talked about last week? And I said, yeah. He says, well, go downstairs and play it for me. <laughs> and so I'd go down these stairs and and sit in his basement, and he would sit up, up upstairs and finish his coffee and smoke a little bit of his cigar, and and I'd play whatever that lesson was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. inevitably, he'd come down the stairs as I was playing this lesson and say, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> but but it was really just it was it, it it was just this sort of rough rough exterior, and and I think I learned later on that he put up that front because he didn't want to deal with people who were not serious about sure. music or the drums. Right. Right. Um, I can remember specifically taking uh, some drummer buddies of mine over there to meet Walter. Cause I was, okay. I was so impressed with this guy. And I, you know, each time I went over there and spent time with him, it really was a lesson. Even if we were you like a teenager at this time, uh, I was in my early twenties. I had just okay. started touring with the band. I kind of knew a little bit about drums. Like you know, I, I was feeling comfortable with my playing, and I knew that this was something I wanted to do. I, I enjoyed the sure. drums so much, and it was it was something that really resonated with me. I realized this is something I want to do for for a living. You know, this is, yeah. this is my passion. So I was able to hook up with him, and, and I and I learned later on that I, I think that that rough exterior was a way of him pushing people away who weren't, weren't serious about the music. Um, I, I remember taking drummer friends over there and he would, he'd start in with whatever kind of insults that he would do. Like, and, and he was really good at sort of sensing it. Like if he, if he saw that you had a, a, a sensitive point, he right. would, he would do his best to needle you. But, it, but it was really because he didn't want people around him who weren't serious about the music, who weren't taking uh, the drum seriously. Right. And if you weren't that person, he didn't have time for you. So get the hell out of the house. Um, you know, I, I, I treasure those moments and I'm, and I'm thankful and honored to have been, been able to spend time with him. Yeah, it's really interesting. I saw you listed as a, a drum influence at some point. Um, Washington D.C. go-go music. Can you can you fill me in on like what the vibe is there and what what drummers kind of turned you on from that scene? Sure. Well, you know, I I I heard go-go music even before I played drums. I didn't actually okay. start playing drums until I was sixteen. Um, prior to that. You know, I was a, I was a kid in junior high, and and I liked heavy metal. I liked ACDC. I liked ZZ Top. I liked Ozzy, but <laughs> but I also really loved this other music that was happening. This this thing called go go. And at the time, I didn't realize that it was strictly a a, a, a local kind of funk. Um, it's it's a real percussive kind of music. Um, there are there are congas and cowbells and drum set players along with keyboards and uh bass players and there there are different sort of takes on on the music it originally sort of came out of maybe the the washington dc soul and funk scene and just sort okay. of evolved into this thing um it's just really really heavy and it's really rhythmically 
dense. Um, and so there will be songs that were played on the radio, uh, specifically maybe like Chuck Brown, uh, a, a song called Run Joe would, would be one that, that you heard all the time, okay. uh, which is actually a Louis Jordan song uh, that, that, uh, that Chuck played. Uh, and then there were other bands too, like Trouble Funk, Experience Unlimited, Rare Essence. Um, and so all these rhythms were, were something that I was exposed to at the very same time that I was listening to Black Sabbath. Right. Uh, and so for me, it was just it was just all music. It was just all drums, and I just soaked it in all at the same time. Um, but you know, it's those first things that you listen to. It's those first things that you hear that really kind of make a imprint on your on your musical DNA. Yes. Um, yes. And you know, and so so hearing Chuck Brown's "Run Joe" uh, on the radio or at, at a high school dance, for example, I remember going to dances not because I would be able to dance with girls because i was a total dork and afraid to go speak to any girl <laughs> right. but i i loved hearing this music through the pa just cranking just yeah. loud and i remember just standing there in front of the the pa speakers just listening to this music just taking it in and you know that that was a really valuable lesson and I, that informed how i hear the drums even to this day so go-go is specifically like washington dc funk Exactly. From uh, the, from the sixties and seventies? It it started uh in the early seventies and and Chuck Chuck Brown is sort of credited with being the godfather of Go Go. Okay. Um and and the idea was then that he he, he talks about in the early seventies playing these nightclubs and noticing that when the band stopped playing, people would leave the dance floor. Ah. And so he said, Let's not stop. Let's, let's play in between. So yes. they started to build these, these rhythmic segues from one song wow. to another. And eventually this turned into this thing where Chuck would hit the stage and he would play for two hours straight. Wow. No stops, no breaks in between the songs. And he would navigate the band, you know, uh, yeah. through hand signals. Uh, the bands were always very well rehearsed. And so, so it would be this thing. And, and so I, I think that's where this term go-go came from. Go-go. Oh, keep keep playing. Keep, keep playing going. music. Keep going. Don't yeah. stop. And that way people kept partying and the bar stayed busy and the dance floor was packed and everybody made more money. And, and then this, this beautiful form of music came out of it. Yeah. It's funny. So I was just reading about one of those old package tours from the 60s. And apparently, you know, it was like one of the ones, it was the Rolling Stones first one that they did in the States and they did it with, um, I believe, Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers and stuff like that. And apparently each one of those artists had three songs in 10 minutes in this night. And there was also a uh, an ice cream intermission in the middle. Where apparently everybody got ice cream. So I'm like... So yeah, I, I can imagine by the time this was rolling around, there was a time we needed like something super consistent that went through. Right, right. That's cool. Well, I can kind of hear it in Clutch too through the years. You know how um, kind of came out of the metal scene, but we're never really a metal band. Um, in you know per se, because it always had that kind of extra groove and movement that didn't really feel metally to me. Uh, I, now. How did that happen? Because you guys started on Earache Records, right? Which is like pretty much a total metal label. And from the outside, you were were viewed as a metal band to a lot of people. Was that okay with you guys and something that you tried to get away from? Or 
Um, it, it was it was it was not something that we consciously made an effort to stay away from. Um, but uh, but you know even even before we were sort of classified as a metal band, even before that, we we came up in the hardcore scene. Oh, okay. The East Coast hardcore scene, and right. and so we would play uh, shows in Baltimore. Uh, in DC, and then and then we would go up to Boston and play with some hardcore bands up there. I don't think we sounded like any of those bands, but but um, the hardcore scene was such a vibrant community back then, and I'm sure it yeah. still is. But um, back then, that was that was a re- there was an easy place to get shows. Yeah. Um, the other the other side of it would have been sort of like you know this kind of leftover hair metal scene that was happening, <laughs> right. and that that really didn't work for us yeah um and then and then the other scene that was happening at the time was the dc discord scene yeah um and of course fugazi was sort of like the the greatest of them all uh but then there were bands like jawbox and fidelity jones um and several others and and that was a very sort of closed community we, right. we would go to those shows, especially Fugazi. I'm such a Fugazi fan. Yeah, those yeah. those shows that we saw back then were just such powerful moments. Um, but that was a really close community, and the idea of our band getting a show with Fugazi, although, of course, we would have done it, that was completely off the radar for us. There's no <laughs> right. way that those guys were going to have us because they, they heard our, our, our riffs. Right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were like, no. you're Tough scene to crack anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so the so the hardcore scene was was kind of a natural fit for us, and and it just kind of evolved from there. From there, we started playing with some metal bands, and eventually we we got signed. We we put out our we we first put out a seven inch on a on a little tiny label called Inner Journey Records. Okay, and you know we made a seven inch, and we thought this is it, man. We got a seven inch. What else yeah. is there? You're done. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, weren't the '90s great? Things were so simple. <laughs> So so from there, you know, we, we just we just grew. We 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 um we signed to East West Records, mm-hmm. uh, which was a subsidiary of it, a subsidiary of Atlantic. Yeah, and right. we started touring. And early on, we got some really good metal tours. We got um, a couple tours with Sepultura, which was huge for us. Yeah, we, we were huge Sepultura fans. Yeah. Um, around that time, we went out with Pantera. Um. And and then from there we just started playing with all kinds of different bands, you know Marilyn Manson and Bad Religion, right. and we were never very, uh, we were not concerned about the bands that we played with. We didn't care about that. We just wanted to be sure that we had a good show because we knew if we just get up on stage and we just play our asses off, play our songs, that there's going to be two or three people out there that are going to dig it. You know. Sure. And and that's kind of how it grew. It grew, grew just just from getting out there and playing in front of pe- you know people every night, night after night, with different bands, different kinds of people, and, um, and you know, and from there, you know, that's I, th- I think that's why we have a pretty diverse fan base now. For sure. I mean, that's sort of the question I was alluding to is because where, where did that come from? You know, that wherewithal because you know you were playing with hardcore bands, metal bands, but you were always clutch. You know, from early on, from from the early '90s, you guys had that that clutch sound, and you're kind of locked into it. Like, how how are you so um, focused on knowing that's what you were, especially at a young age, and and then having the confidence to play with all those different bands and not allowing it to change you, and just continuing to do your thing. 
maybe part of it was because we never subscribed to one genre of music or one particular scene. Mm. Um, we were we were not afraid to play with with different kinds of bands, uh, and you know, and, and I think our our record collections at the time reflected that as well. You know, I, I, back then it wasn't really cool to listen to ZZ Top, <laughs> right. you know, but but. But I I thought it was really cool, you know. I, I you know I I, I liked it. Uh, like a band, yeah. I, you know, I I had I liked Agnostic Front and I liked Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. right. You know, and, and so and 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 all of us kind of have that. We all listen to different things, but but everybody's listening to different stuff. Uh, and it, and it wasn't so much about trying to to make the local scene. Um, it, it was it was really more just about playing music that that uh, that we liked. Um, and and playing music that we thought our friends would dig, mm-hmm. um, and then and then recording music that we liked, you know, and and it was and it was it was really that it was that simple, you know. We we did not look at it as as an opportunity to start a career, right? It was it was just about yeah, let's jam, and then there's a show next week. I think we can get on that bill, you know. Uh, I don't know. Leeway's going to come down, and we're going to open for them. It's going to be great. Let's yeah. do that, you know. And it was that simple. That's awesome. I remember seeing you all at uh, the Stone Pony sometime in the mid '90s with Tad. Yeah, wow. yeah, and uh, and a local band called Standpoint, who was uh, a really heavy female-fronted hardcore band that I was super into, and that's actually what got me to the show. And it, but it was the first time I saw Clutch, and I was like, "Holy shit, that is good stuff." Um, so you've been you started and have been running the label since two thousand eight. Since right. about then, uh-huh. how did that all like come together? And and uh, after all this time, you know, good like twelve years doing it. Do, do you really think it's the the way to go? Well, I'll start by saying, but that, that for sure it is the way to go. Okay, and, and I think uh, all all of us musicians, I, I, I think the quick the more quickly we embrace that idea. Uh, the more quickly we can move on with with our career, because there are so many right. there are so many musicians out there who are concerned about oh I need to get on this particular label uh, because they're going to be the ones that are going to they're going to pump me out to the people and and you know th- that kind of an attitude is just putting off the inevitable you know we can see it every year that goes by um, the label really only functions as a bank these days yeah um, sure. So, so we, we, we figured, you know, let's, let's give this a shot. And and by that point we had been on several major labels. We had been yeah. on independent labels that wanted to be major labels. We were on independent labels. Um, and we weren't satisfied with any of those situations. Uh, and we figured, you know, let's, let's give this a shot because if we suck at it, it's still going to be better than whatever they're doing. <laughs> right, right. And it was kind of a go for broke kind of attitude. Um, you know, and, and we're still learning, you know, there's still, sure. there's, there's still every release, we learn something new, you know, it, it, it does require that, that we as musicians take on a little bit more responsibility that we um, open our eyes a little bit more than, than to just the music. You got it. You got to think with a business sense. Sure. Um, but, but, uh, you know the 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 return is 
it's great because not only are we cutting out the middleman and we're not we we financially it's a better situation to be in but but creatively it's better too because i don't have to be concerned about oh well the a and r guy doesn't hear a single on this particular record or uh or the label says we got to wait because such and such is going to put out their record first and then we can go Mm -hmm. um no you can you can you can call your own shots and and at the end of the day if you screw it up it's your own fault (laughs) <laughs> right no one else to blame that's right now after doing it this long is there anything with like um the the day-to-day operations or things that you could tell you know a band thinking about doing it that that could help them make make that step um yeah I, I, it's it's not as difficult as you think it is um even if you don't have the the knowledge or the wherewithal yourself there are plenty of folks out there who do especially in in today's climate where record labels are sort of they're atrophying you know the, 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 <laughs> yeah. the, their staff is is being laid off or or uh being fired there's a there's a lot of people who have business sense that are still into music um that are that are willing to to help so so i think that's the first thing find if you can't do it yourself find somebody who can and work with that person mm-hmm. um and, and that's really what we did in, in the early days we, we hired a label manager um to 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 do the day-to-day stuff that's not okay. to say that we weren't involved because we were uh, every decision that happened we were consulted with yeah but when you're on the road or something like that yeah right um, so, so find somebody who can help you do that, or, or maybe your band has a has a has a guy that that uh, or a gal that, that that has the interest and the and the knowledge to be able to do something like that. Sure. Um, but, but it's you know at the end of the day, it's not that hard, man. I mean, we're we're talking about you know record a record and and get it up on the streaming services. It's not that difficult. Yeah, these uh, days. What, what is difficult is is coming up with uh material that 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 you can be proud of right uh, material that sounds different than other folks that that's really where that's the challenge setting yourself apart from the other bands that are out there sure um and and i think that comes from a combination of uh having having put in the time on the instrument to be able to to express yourself in in that way um, and also have the interest in, in doing that. So, you know, some people just pick up the guitar and they're like, look, man, I just, you know, I want to play like Dimebag. <laughs> and that's great because we know yeah. Dimebag is awesome. But, 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 you know, you, you have to, you gotta, you gotta be able to think beyond that. If I, I think if you really want to make an impact on, on, on music today. I see. That's awesome. All right. I want to take a little turn here. Okay. Something very personal to me. Drummer jokes. All right. Now, I don't do well with them. I never have, you know, I always found, I, I have enough pride to swallow being a drummer, okay? Like, I know no one even knows it's my life's work and you don't care I'm back there. I Like, the general concept annoys me enough that I don't need fucking drummer jokes. But do you like them? And if you do, do you have a couple doozies for us? Because I know Brad likes them a lot. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't really have a lot of drummer's jokes. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I, I don't mind them, but I, you know, I, I think when they get passed around, it just, it just shows, uh, you know, uh, the, the folks ignorance because uh, uh, right. in, in so many ways, you know, you're the, the, the band can only go as far as the drummer will, will push right. the band, you know? 
Um, I also think there's a thing with us drummers too that we, we kind of have uh, an organizational kind of a mind. Yes. Um, I've always I've always been like that. Um, I've, I've enjoyed that part of it. You know, when's the yeah. next time we're going to jam? What's going to What's going to be the next uh, band practice about? What are What's going to be the next recording? Sure. Who's touring? What's going to be the next show? I enjoy that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and and I think maybe as drummers, I, I think we kind of naturally take on those kind of responsibilities. I think it has sure. to do with the nature of the instrument. Um, maybe that has to. That's because you know we do not rely on amplification. When we're in the jam room, for example, yeah, you know, your sound, do, your sound. Yeah. There's a physical part of it too, where it's just like drums require a house or a basement. They require a vehicle big enough to move them all around. They require uh, the management of way more large, like pieces and things like that, than the other people have. So normally, like it just lends itself to being the basement you practice in or the guy with the van or the one who knows how to fix a bunch of shit, you know, like there is like a utilitarian thing that just lends itself to drumming. I mean, we literally got pieces of wood in our fucking hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, you're just, you're just hitting shit. Yeah. Uh huh. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes I think about that. I like look around. I'm like, holy shit. I got like my house. I'm just hitting shit. Yeah. Just sweating, basically. <laughs> just sweating and hitting stuff. Brad, how do you feel about this comment? You feel left out for I, once? I have to just chime in and say that, you know, <laughs> I, there's justification. I've been really tortured by some total psychopaths and some horrible drummers. And so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much house hunting you've done, but like the only kind of the only thing that I can think of is like, it seems like realtors are people that think, oh, real, I can sell real estate. Anybody can do that. So there's like <laughs> your chance of running into a fucking realtor who actually like knows what they're talking about when they walk into a house is so slim because 90% of them are fucking idiots. You think that it's an easy gig. Well, that's the only okay. that's the only way I can I can sort of like frame my my point of reference of being tortured. You it's know, a I'm good not, enough metaphor that I'm not even offended because it's pretty <laughs> smart. I do like that. Of that's course, good. getting a good realtor does not like make or break, you know, you could still buy a good house without a good realtor, but you yeah, like well, you said, you right, can't have you're a good going band too far. without a good drummer. Now you're going too far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so no drummer <laughs> jokes today. Okay, but also one interesting little pivot I wanted to Do you want to tell was, one, Benny, just, to, just since you've already started it? Wait, no, what do you mean? You're not going to tell some? a drummer joke after all that? I don't even have one because oh. the, they literally just – you got some? No, I can't think of any right now. All three of us, <laughs> not one drum. What about a bass player joke? Not right at the moment. All right, we're done. This is done. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jean Paul, tell me. Uh, I recently just got into uh, home home ownership with a giant lawn, and I heard about your interest in yard work and a giant stone project you took on. Any yes. tips here you can throw me? Well, I, I can tell you if, if you're going to mess with stone, do it while you're young. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Back breaking work. <laughs> yeah, it's well, you know, I, I had a 
I, I started a stone project. Oh man, probably probably ten years ago. Okay, and I, and I got about eighty percent done with the project, and then tours just kind of started, and and then we were making records, and um, the the project was never quite complete, and and. When the pandemic happened, of course, I, I found myself with a tremendous amount of free time. <laughs> a bevy of free time at the house. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, th- now is the time to finish up the, the, the 20% of the stone job that you, you never did finish. Sure. Um, and, and I was uh, shocked and alarmed to, to, uh, to, to, to learn just how, stev- how heavy that stone really was. <laughs> and, and it became a little heavier over it, the few years. It became so much heavier. <laughs> so... So, so that would be my word of advice. Uh, d- d- do it now <laughs> before you can't. Because I tell you what, man, t- 10 years made a big difference. Those stones got a lot heavier. Yeah, I just said that to my wife today. I was sitting there thinking last night. I'm like, you know what? My physical window is closing. Anything I want to do that involves like that part of my life, I really got to get on. Because it's just not even going to be possible soon. <laughs> So I heard a cool quote from you that that I wanted to talk about. It was a quote where you said, I want to be able to practice things, not necessarily because you want to be able to play everything, but rather because you want to be able to play what's in your brain and then have that come out onto the drums, which I think you you, you talked about a little with the aforementioned uh, Walter Saab. Um, so do you believe in like an everyday disciplined creation like even if you're feeling it or not like is that the kind of creator you are an artist you are that, that's the kind of creator i i strive to be mm-hmm. um i i can tell you for sure you know these these last few months have been uh not the most inspiring times for any of us um so you know i, I get up in the morning and i have my coffee and you know, sometimes I don't really feel like going downstairs and cracking stick control again for the <laughs> millionth and tenth time. Sure. Um, but but I, I, I think, you know, it's like working out, right? Like the, the hardest day is that first day back. Mm-hmm. And if you, can, if you can get over that hump, um, it, it becomes easier. And, and then there becomes a point where it's 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 almost addictive and you're you're sort of always doing it you know Mm -hmm. um and and so you know i i don't think my situation is unique in that there's an ebb and flow in that in that uh in that relationship with the drums um it's it's something you have to work on though you know especially in times like these where where it's tough there's it's not like i'm getting ready for a tour Mm, um right you know we we get together and we rehearse uh, a few times a week, but it's not as if we're, we're, you know, getting ready to go to the studio next month. Right. So when you sit down to practice, it's got, it's got to be because you want to practice yeah. and, and, and there's, you got to be able to see the, the bigger value in that. Um, I, I think the quote that you're, that you're talking about um, maybe refers a little bit to, to, uh, to, to practicing these things so that, that eventually the, the pathways to your your limbs, uh, they're clear. So what what you think in your mind comes out on the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, very few of us, I think, actually are able to attain that level of of musicianship. But right. I strive to do that. You know, sure. um, and 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 it and it 
it's it's something that you have to nurture. You have you have to cultivate that, um, and 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 also you have to you have to couple that too. I think with 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 music, you know, because all book work and no music doesn't get you very far either. Right. You have to. I think you, I I try to balance the two. You know, let, practice for a while, have a, have some kind of a regiment, whatever that is. Um, and, and then, and then maybe just, you know, put on your headphones and, and play along to something, you know? Yes. Um, and I think the two of those sort of work together. Yeah. I, I, I've had a bunch of conversations with younger artists and that's why I wanted to talk about this. Cause you know, this idea that you always need to be like struck, you know, struck with the, uh, you know, this eureka moment or this, you know, idea or something like that. And people are like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm waiting, like, the vibe is right. I'm like, well, how the fuck are you going to know how to play it when it strikes you? You know, like, just because it's in your head, you know, you still need the physical tools to get it out there. So it's a mix of the two. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, you have to maintain that. Um, you know, hey, look, there's, there's different kinds of players out there. No, no doubt that there are some brilliant folks out there who might not be able to touch a guitar, for example, for five weeks and then pick up a guitar and be able to play something. Uh, you know, I, I'm not that kind of a drummer. I, I need to maintain that relationship with my drums. And, and, you know, it's not all like, Oh my God, I feel like John Bonham today. It's, it's not all like that. You know, I had a day yesterday where we, we, we got together to rehearse and it's been a little while since we had, and I felt like an idiot, you know, like, what the fuck am I doing over here? Training you have to have those days. You, you, yeah. you have to have those days where you're like, what is this thing in front of me? What, why am I beating this thing? Yeah, you have to have that because that's the relationship with the instrument. And it it is that, you know, it's 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 the drums require that you spend uh, time and energy, um, both physical and mental uh, to to um, to be able to say what you want to say on the instrument, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's you brought up the best point too to me, who is Bonham, who like Bonham didn't know he was Bonham on every day. You know what I mean? It was like his lack of being impressed by himself is one of the things that made him so good. Right. Right. And, and, and knowing that, you know, chances are, you know, there's going to, there's going to come a day when, when all of us will not be able to play uh, the way that we want to. And we're just going right. to have to know, look, we, we did the best that we could. Yeah. You know? We, 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 we were true to that instrument. We were true to the music and we played as long and as hard as we possibly could. And it was, but you can't ever expect to, to get to that level. You know, when, when right. oftentimes I'll, I'll run into young players who, uh, you know, they're, they're quite full of themselves because they're, you could, man, they're very quick, you know, and sure, they, can, right. they can play all that double bass shit and look at all this stuff going on. And, and you, and you start to realize that the more you think, you know, about the instrument, the more, the, the less you actually really know. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah, you yeah. can humble yourself a little bit, uh, watch other players, watch, w- listen to a lot of music, t- take it all in. You you learn that man, there's so much to this instrument that you can learn uh, that you you can't you can't possibly conquer it all. That's right. And you take one of those guys who's you know or girls who's super crisp and you know doing that really intricate double kick stuff, and you just throw them like, hey, play some ACDC for me, play some Weezer. You know, and see how it sounds. They they don't know what to do in space. They get all scared. They they're like, well, I don't know what to do with my hands. Right. <laughs> they get all freaked out. Right. And, and you said and you said the best word too. How does it sound? Right. 
Cause that is, man, that, that is the key. You know, if you, if you can, if you can play uh, an ACDC beat and make that feel good, Hmm. that's for me, that's way more challenging than, than playing any of this other intricate, fast, crazy shit that's going on out there. Cause it's all about the space in between the notes. Yeah. I had, I had the opportunity to take some drum lessons with, uh, with my favorite drummer out there, Johnny Vidakovich. Okay. Johnny is a, uh, he's an, a drummer from New Orleans. Uh, and, and he, I love his playing because he can, he can, uh, he can play the entire history of the instrument from, from the, wow. from the earliest turn of the century, uh, funky ass March shit to some Tony Williams stuff, to some funk, to some rock and roll. He could play it all. Uh, and, and, and the, the, the thing that, that, that I learned the, the first time I had a lesson with him was it's all about the, it's, it's all about the quarter note, right? So we've got a quarter note happening here and the quarter note, that's, that's, that's the downbeat, but all the cool stuff happens up here in the space, right? right? In this, in the space, that's where all the funk happens. That's where all the excitement happens. Uh That's where all the swing happens. So, so don't don't be afraid of that space and and, and embrace it, um, bec- just because you don't have you know thirty second notes flying through the through the you know sixteen bars of the chorus doesn't mean that you played shitty. Yes, no, not at all. Right, right. You're you're, lis- you're listening to the music, so so don't be afraid of that space. Embrace that space because that's really where the music is. That's right. That's right. Now, how did that work? Is it, it that part and parcel with? Um you guys making a switch to, to working with like Vance Powell. And uh, I know you've always tried to record live, but there was an extra focus on recording together and live during that process. Is, is that all in the same headspace? Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, each, each, each record is, is kind of a, a reflection of what happened last time, you know? Mm. And I think we do that on, on two levels. I, I, I there are times when we're like, let's, you know, let's do something different. Let's, let's, and we, and we talk about it a little bit. Let's, let's, let's try this different kind of approach or let's try this a little faster or slower. Or we did something like this last time. So let's do this this time. But, but also I think there's something that happens with us that's sort of subconscious at this point. Right. That we naturally just try to uh, deviate a little bit from what happened last time around. So I, I think that's the first part of it. The, the second part of it is is the is the, the decisions that the band can make um, to to really kind of go out of their comfort zone. Mm. And uh, when we work with Vance Powell, um, we we were all in the same room together. Uh, we played the uh, the songs from beginning to end, and really did the best we could to come up with a performance the whole way through. It really wasn't about sort of slicing and dicing the different takes to come up with, with what ended up being the record. Um, It was a different way of recording, but I, but I think it's important that, that, that it's, it's not necessarily a better way of recording. It's, it's a Mm. different way. It's a different mindset. And uh, hopefully we can, we can sort of embrace both ways and we can make great records either way. You know, prior to working with Vance, uh, we work with machine, Yes. And yeah. Machine's a very different kind of a producer. Okay. Um, he's very much, uh, he, you know, everything's on the click. And to varying degrees, the, the band members might play some or all of the song on their own right. without other members being present. 
Sure. Um, so it's it's just a different way of of making a record, and and you know that's part of the fun of being a musician too, right? Being able to 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 try different things and and see what the outcome is, and and not being afraid to be like, well, that fucking sucked. We we won't do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you guys were down at the studio in Nashville and Berry Hill over there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. we had we had a great time there. I, I, the the thing I think that that kind of drew me to his sound. Um, there were there were a couple records that that uh, I listened to that that he had engineered, and, and one of them was uh, Chris Stapleton. Oh yeah. And um, my brother in law is a huge Chris Stapleton fan, and and he would he play this record over and over again, hmm. and I was impressed with it because it it didn't sound like other country records that I had heard. Mm. Um, you know, we can argue whether or not Chris Stapleton is a country musician or, yeah. you know, but, but the, the sound coming out of, out of the speakers at the time to me was, was different than other stuff that I'd, I'd heard. Uh, the drums were really had kind of this really deep lush kind of depth to them. Um, and, and the vocal, I remember too, just being huge. And at that point we were ready to try something a little different. Uh, I don't think Vance had worked with the band quite like us before. Right, and right. I think for that reason, I, th- I think he might've taken on the challenge um, because it was different than, than other stuff that he'd done. Sure. And uh, man, we had a great time down there. Na- uh, Nashville is a cool town. There was so much good food there. Yeah. God. And, and Vance was great. I, I learned so much from him. Um, he's an incredible engineer. It, watching him put drum mics up, <laughs> uh, and, th- and then going back and tweaking those mics to me blew me away. Just, just watching him move the microphone, just, you know, a half inch here or there, uh, moving overheads a little, just a little further away from the drums or a little closer, whatever it might be. Um, he's really in tune with not only the sound, but, but his gear and he knows what his microphones are going to hear. And uh, so it, it, it was great. And also he's hilarious. Right, yeah, that guy's, a, that guy's a pill. Uh does he still have that little dog that sits under the mixing board? Uh, no, I didn't see, no, I didn't see a little uh, dog. There. Okay. It was it wasn't I, I made it through that studio once and the dog maybe wasn't doing so well. I don't want to bring that up. That that's a bad thing to bring up. So you guys you're you're twelve studio albums in now, right? Is, is that right? Twelve? I, I think so. I'm kind Seem of, right? Yeah. <laughs> in the ballpark. Sure. Yeah. So like how's is the clutch songwriting process at this point, is it just like a formula that you guys have, have really mastered or did, did it adapt with technology? Like, like how are you guys approaching that? I think that's one of my favorite parts about being in this band. And that is that the songwriting process is, is totally different from song to song, from record to record. Cool. Um, it, it does involve a lot of us, just getting into the room and just playing and so much of the stuff that we play ends up not being on the record. Mm. And I, and I, it took some time, I think for us all to just be comfortable with that. Right. You know, we're We're going to, we'd get together one afternoon and, and maybe each of us would bring an idea to the table, you know, whether it was a drum beat or, or just a baseline and we grow stuff from there. Um, or, Sometimes Neil will just show up at the rehearsal and he'll have this thing. And it'll be like, man, you know, this is this goofy song that I was working on. I don't think it's very good. You guys are going to have to work on it with me. And, 
Right. And then he plays it for us and we're like, no, we're going to do exactly what was on your recording. Okay. You know? Nah, dude, that smokes. Yeah. And and so, and, and to me, that's the coolest thing. There's not one way that, that the songs come together. Um, and, and for that reason, I, I, I think we're able to, to kind of strike a different tone from, from record to record. Cool. Uh, there's not just one dude writing all the riffs. Um, I will say that there is only one guy writing lyrics and I'm very thankful for that. Right. You know, (laughs) Neil is by far, in my opinion, by far the, the, you know, the most talented lyricist out there and and the most talented singer out there. He's, he's, he's able to sing about stuff uh, that, you know, that, that most people would not associate with rock and roll. Sure. And and I think that adds a lot to the, to the depth of the sound for the band. Yeah, some of his lyrics are almost like uh, kind of like tongue in cheek and almost funny at times. Where I'm yeah. like, I'm like, he's, I think he's fucking with me right now. He's um, probably fucking with you. Yeah, which I like. <laughs> Do, does he uh, does he share thoughts on on melody and lyrics like like prior to getting into the studio? Is that an open thing or is that really just his his department? But maybe maybe that's one of the things that that has changed is that uh, over the years there's more and more an idea of what the vocal is going to be doing in, in the, in the record Uh, in the very earliest days, you know, we would get in there and we would just, we'd play the riffs, lay everything down. And then he would come back afterwards and put the vocals on it. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of times when we had no idea what the vocals were going to be. And, you know, to some degree that's exciting. Sure. Um, but but as the band has grown and over the years, we have a better idea of what's going to be happening uh, vocally. I, may, maybe a lot of that has to do with uh, having worked with the producer machine. Um, we worked with him for the first time on the Blast Tyrant record that was released, uh, I don't remember, sometime in the early 2000s. Yeah. And... and um, machine is 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 very focused on on what's happening vocally, and prior to that, you know, we we weren't listening so much to the vocal. It was more about like let's get this riff this way, and let me make this beat this like this. And um, I, th- I think in a lot of ways, he opened our eyes on that record in particular um, to to what what's happening with the vocal and how do we how do we support that vocal. Um, so maybe that means, you know, tweaking the riff a little bit so that it doesn't step on the, the cadence uh, of the vocal or the sure, rhythm sure. of the vocal. Um, and that, that concept I think has grown over the years to where, to where now, you know, we'll, we'll be in the jam room and we'll have some riffs and we'll be sort of cycling through this riff idea and Neil will start. Neil starts singing stuff, but it's not necessarily even lyrics. Maybe it's just words or a melody, but, but it gives you information as to how ultimately that, that vocal is going to sit in the, in the track. Yeah. Um, and you know how it is as, as drummers, you know, that, that information is crucial. Huge. So, so, um, I've, I've found myself over the years paying more and more attention to it. And, um, and and also and thinking about something that Johnny Vidakovich told me one time as well, you know, make make the musicians feel good, make the musicians feel as though that the the decisions that they've made are the right decisions, and that it was a uh, good decision to go that way. Yeah, uh, make them feel comfortable in their space, and I think that's part of of uh, of the thing that that maybe maybe some some drummers these days 
maybe take for granted or don't pay that much attention to. Um, the thing is, you know, maybe when you go to a clutch show, maybe some people out there play bass, maybe some of them are drummers, maybe some of them play guitar, but I would guarantee 95% of those people out there sing. Now they might not sing professionally, but they're going to sing in their car. They're going to sing in the shower or they're going to sing when they're working out or whatever they're doing. Right. So, so everybody wants, everybody wants to, to be a part of that vocal. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I think we as drummers can do a lot to make, make that vocal feel good. Yeah. Um, what, whether you play along with it or whether you support it, whether you accent it, you know, we can talk all day about the different approaches to it, but being aware of that vocal and, 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 uh, supporting it, I, I think makes for, makes, makes the listener enjoy the music that much more. Totally. I mean, that's refreshing to hear. And it goes with something Brad and I talk about a lot, which is, you know, not all drummers are songwriters. I'm afraid that they're not. Some people aren't. I wish they were. But not all music really lends itself to that either. But personally, I I do not finish a drum part until the vocal part's done. Because I don't understand how you can really write a song, especially a song you're supposed to deliver with a chorus, with a hook, with all these things that's supposed to become ear candy for someone and you're going to do something that battles that. That's it, so it's refreshing to hear about the the way you think about it. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a different it's a different mindset. You know, there's there's other ways to approach the drums. Um, that's for me. That that is, I, I, I get satisfaction out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I I I get some satisfaction out of being able to you know, play a cool fill and, you know, being able to come out of it. Oh, wow. That sounded good on recording, but that, that's one level of, of, of enjoyment. But, but to be able to hear the song as an, as a whole and listen to that vocal and know that, that I did everything I could to make that vocal feel as good as it could at that time. Mm-hmm. That That's a total, that's, that's for me, I get more enjoyment out of that. Yeah. And, and is one of the tricks to, so do you guys, do you all live around each other? We do. So is is one of the tricks to the longevity of clutch? Is it the idea that that no idea is a bad idea when you guys get into the room, like like an openness between the members? No doubt about it, and yeah. and, I, and I'm thankful for that because I have a lot of stupid ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, you know it's 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 really wide open, and 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 we we try to create an atmosphere in which which we can we can bring ideas to the table, and you know we can try just about anything. That's awesome. Well, since we're nearing the end, I'm sure your publicist would want us to talk about the uh, the the record that records that you guys are putting out or working on right now. Are they out yet? The singles. We have uh, we have a couple things coming out. We have okay. um, the 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 uh, Weathermaker Vault series volume right. one is getting yeah. ready to come out, and so the the Vault series is a collection of songs that we've recorded over the past uh, maybe maybe two or th- two and a half years um, that, that, that were not necessarily part of a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them were covers. You know, we did, um, we did a Cactus song called Evil. We did a ZZ Top song called Precious and Grace. Nice. Um, we re-recorded a couple old clutch songs that, that we thought were either we, that that I thought I played shitty. <laughs> the first one, uh, uh, smoke Banshee being, being the example of that. 
Um, or, or, you know, some of them we just re-recorded because we've been playing for years. Electric Worry, for example, we, we re-recorded um, only because I think we're better at playing that song now. Uh-huh. And so this is, a, this is a collection of songs that we recorded just in batches, two or three at a time. And we released them uh, over the course of the last year and a half, roughly. Right. And, and to some degree, it was actually an experiment because hmm. uh, we, were, we were trying to see what it would be like to release music exclusively in the digital domain. Right. Um, and for us, you know, a year and a half ago, that was a completely new concept. You know, sure. we were, sure. you know, we were accustomed to releasing music and you release a CD and you release the vinyl and you release the digital yeah. all at once. Yeah. Um, we said, let's, let's, let's just try to release one song at a time. Let's do it digitally and let's try different things as far as marketing goes, placement. Um, and, and for us as label owners, it was, it was a good way to, to try some new stuff that we hadn't been able to do before that way. Right. Um, and how did the so, experiment go? It, it, it was, it was good. I think, I think we learned a lot about it, about marketing, about, about what it means to release a single. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, but each one of those releases was kind of a, was kind of an experiment. Hmm. Um, and then, and then in the end we, we put them all on one piece of vinyl and we're going to release that next month. So that's that's the Weathermaker Vault series. That's going to be volume one. Uh, and we're actually already making plans to get into the studio in December and record some some more songs, which will oh, eventually cool. be volume two. Great. Um, so we're excited about that. Are any uh, any cool covers stuff you can tell us what's going to be on that? Uh, we're, we're well. I, I can tell you we're we're, we're going to try a go go version of something that's going to be real heavy. That I can't uh, yeah. heard, okay. yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day in band practice. Uh, it was actually Neil's idea, and it was fucking brilliant. So we're, <laughs> we're excited about that. Uh, we might um, we might try doing some uh, some some acoustic stuff as well. Maybe try a couple of those songs. Um, I like playing in that dynamic because it it it, it forces me to. Uh, Play more softly, first of all, uh, which is a challenge as drummers, as you know. Sure. And um, so we'll 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 give that a shot. And um, I don't know. We'll put we'll put them out next year over the course of I don't know maybe the first six months of the year, and then in in the meantime, hopefully we'll be we'll be writing what will be the next album. Um, appreciate all that, and thanks. You know, just on a personal note, I really appreciate Clutch. I always have, and and you guys are always the uh, example I use to to someone who's like, "Yo, who the fuck cares? But just do your thing and just keep doing your thing and do it good, and you'll be fine. You'll be like Clutch, you know. <laughs> you'll always have a good career." <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, and and that means a lot, and and we appreciate you, and thank you for saying that. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Jean Paul. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, JP. Take care. Okay. Zoom. <laughs> Fucking Zoom. That was a Zoom. Nobody's yeah. going to notice, but I notice. It's the first I, one we did on Zoom. I really resent, you know, do that other podcast, Tune Up, and he made me he made me start using Zoom. I was like really proudly a couple months into the pandemic. Without and I was like, Zoom. and I'm like, I don't have Zoom. I never even used it. I was like, I felt cool. <laughs> You know, like not having a Facebook account. I was like, yeah, I haven't Zoomed. I don't plan on it. And then he made me do it. Hmm. Send me one invite to this 
email I have. I have like a side email that's like my business side right. piece email. Right. And he sent one link to it, compromised. All of a sudden, <laughs> I got spam for days from fucking one Zoom link. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I resent Zoom. <laughs> I, it, I only like it if I bought stock in February. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's probably too late for that, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now they're selling Zoom futures. I don't even know what kind of information. Like... I wouldn't be surprised if Zoom had some sort of camera recognition technology that's like filming my fucking house and me and all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting an email that's like, oh, shaving products yeah. because yeah. his mustache is too long. You know, like, that that's what will happen when Google buys them. That's exactly yeah. what they'll use it for to identify uh. what you need. Right. And this, <laughs> this is why I need a gas powered chainsaw. <laughs> So, anyway, you got socials for Clutch? Yeah, it's Clutch Official, both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, Check easy. it out. And um, you know they had to put the official, right? Because some car care company had Clutch.com. <laughs> so there's a lot of clutches. Yeah. <laughs> some, used, some used fucking auto parts company in, like, Mississippi yeah. was lucky enough to get, like, Clutch.com. You know it. It's either, yeah, Clutch Official. It could be Clutch the Band, but that's always, that's so lame. Clutch yeah. Official is good. And Brad, we have a Patreon, don't we? We do have a Patreon. Tell me about it. Patreon.com slash going off track. You can get yeah. some uh, bonus material there. Um, I've been slowly sort of just throwing out snippets. We've had things that like, I guess some stuff that you would say uh, picked up off the editing room floor kind of conversations. <laughs> All very good though. Not not throwaway stuff, just stuff that was like after we'd finished the podcast. You always cut the personal stuff. Once me and my friends on here start getting down on some bullshit, <laughs> you're like, all right, extra content. Did you see the video I put up? Because I know you're going to hate it. Keenlin? I, no, no, I put up a video of Fat Mike. Oh, you did? <laughs> Why am I going to hate it? I don't know. It's just, you feel like mean. we give Fat Mike too much attention. <laughs> no, it was the first one, his first appearance. Oh, it's all the security cool. cam footage from rubber tracks. Whatever. Fat Mike can draw <laughs> me some traffic, draw me some traffic. Fat Mike. I don't but care. Uh, yeah, we're uh, whatever. We get some. I mean, thank you so much for the patrons that we have. Yeah, it's a club. It's a club. You want to join the club? <laughs> it's exclusive. Yeah. We need to sell exclusivity. Didn't Very you see the exclusive. social network? Benny will Benny will respond to any and all questions and requests on. That's Patreon. actually true. Yes. People think I'm a lot busier than I am with stuff like that. Like I get emails from people who are like, I know you're swamped. I'm like, no. Yeah. If you want to feel like you can text <laughs> Benny, you can jo join Patreon and, and he'll, he'll. Oh, do I have attention. to put my phone number up now? No. <laughs> All right. That's fine. I'll get a burner. I've seen the wire. We've got, but we got some great fans there and we really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. If you want to just, you all. if there's something that you just like and you want to like throw us a tip, you can do it at Venmo, um, at off track and, you know, whatever you want, a buck, 66 cents, I think we've gotten before. Whatever you feel like you want to toss at us, we'll take it all because, you know, we have some expenses with this and and we appreciate the help. You're looking a little skinny. Am I? Yeah, you you look famished. Are you eating? I'm riding, I'm riding 15 miles a day on my bike. Maybe I'm losing weight. What is this job you have? Are you working too so I'm doing the fucking Christmas gig again. I know. But it's all the way out in Queens and I ride the bike. So it's like 15 miles round trip. 
You've been riding your bike to Queens every day? Yeah. Wow. Sunnyside. That's impressive. Yeah. I'm actually really impressed that you do that. Okay. To anyone who's listening who's not from New York, (laughs) you got to understand Brad lives like on the FDR. Yep. Which is one of two of the busiest (laughs) highways in New York City. And there is no easy and or safe way to get to Queens. What's your what's your um what's your route? The Williamsburg Bridge. Uh-huh. And then I basically cut straight through the middle of Williamsburg, uh-huh. like r- literally through McCarran Park. Okay. And then I get on Greenpoint Avenue and go across the bridge into whatever that bridge is. It's just a little it's a, and from there it's pretty industrial. Yeah, the little one, yeah. And that goes like almost there. I'm within a few blocks of Sunnyside. It goes through Sunny. Have you ever been to Sunnyside? It's so adorable. I haven't in a long time. It's like a little village out in Queens. It's really nice. Beautiful little houses. I got got respect in Queens, okay? That's where half of my family's from. It's probably, Sunnyside is probably like the most sort of like culturally rich neighborhood I've ever been in. There's no majority that I can really spot there. It's like, I love it. It's like Indian, Puerto Rican, black, white, like very integrated neighborhood. It's really, I find it very adorable. Only downside to Queens is the New York Mets <laughs> and maybe LaGuardia. Let's, <laughs> let's take those two off and that everything else is great. All right. Uh, no one here cares about Queens. Not at all. But respect to you for making that bike ride Thank because you. it's treacherous and I would never do it. That sounds horrifying. I would make it one day and then be in an Uber. Uh, <laughs> but all right. We'll see you next week. We have a great guest next week. And uh, Brad, eat eat a little food, will you? Yes, sir. I'll go do some. some I'm going to go get some right now. All right. (laughs) Bye.